Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. that we're going to turn to in the scriptures themselves. So you can 
looking at those and getting ready for that as we go through. So Genesis 2, 15, 16, and 17. So who's got it? Is Darling got it? All right, let's do it. So what happens when they eat a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Die. Die. Right? This, is this relatively clear warning? Yes, we agree? Okay. Let's go to Genesis 3.6. This is 3 6, so maybe you pay the over and you decide. What do you got there, Carl? And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for holy and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And he ate it. Alright, so Genesis 3 6 says that they ate the fruit. So I would expect Genesis 3 7 to say that they then died. Did they then die? No. No. So does this make God a liar? No, obviously it's not make God a liar. Their bodies at that point began to decay. They're going to die. It's a slow process. Now, here's the trick. They did they did not immediately die, but Romans 623, if you jump forward in the New Testament a bit, confirms that the cost of sin is death, but it is not immediate. If the cost of sin was immediate death for every human that's ever lived, how many humans would have ever lived? No, how many humans would have ever lived? Two, yeah, there's, there's a number answer to this, right? It's not zero. Two, we'd wipe them out right there, and, that's it. And, and that would not have accomplished God's purposes of redeeming mankind. So, the question that we're going to try to ask is, why do we not immediately die as a result of sin, and how can God bless sinners who deserve only death? So it's the flip side of why do bad things happen to good people? Gruden's question today is why do good things happen to bad people? And there's a great, wonderful, amazing answer to this. And the theological term that we use to describe the answer is common grace. So here's your blank. Common grace is the grace of God which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. So innumerable which means you can't count Blessings that are not part of salvation. And the word common here means something that's common to all people. It's not restricted to believers or to the elect only. And Gruden would distinguish this from saving grace, <coughs> the grace that God gives to actually save. Right? And that kind of makes sense. Right? Saving grace and grace that saves. Uh, and then, uh, like I said before, the word common grace, the term common grace is not going to show up in your copy of the scripture. Uh, this is a theological term. Now, what we're not going to do today is we're not going to get into the nuances between Reformed and Arminian theology. So, how many of you ever heard of common grace before? Common grace before? Yes. Excellent. Good. Uh, most Arminians would say that they believe in common grace, but that it's just a bit larger than the way in which Grudem would describe it today. They would say that it's it would include saving grace, keeping it going. So. Uh, we will talk more about that distinction as we go through the rest of this portion of systematic theology. Uh, but the portion that I'm going to talk about today, pretty much anybody who looks at the Bible, whether you're Reformed or whether you're Armenian or whether you're not sure what any one of those mean, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, pretty 
pretty low uh, threshold of argument for today's stuff. All right, so let's look at some examples of common grace. Now, uh, I've talked several times that Ruben teaches a Sunday school class, and they recorded every one of his lessons as he walked through himself explaining this textbook to people in his church. He does not tell a lot of jokes, okay? As in one every three months. Not a lot of jokes. He does, however, laugh hysterically at things that people say that are sometimes funny and are something that he thinks are funny. He misinterprets things all the time. It's absolutely He told the joke for this, and I'm going to tell this joke. All right, so this is how he defines common grace. He said, all right, there's a highway that runs outside of our church, and I would define common grace as if you walk down that highway and you look around, Anything that you see that does not look like the burning fires of hell is common grace. And nobody laughed. And then he started laughing. And I was like, I bet nobody in my class laughed at you. So, all right, wasn't just his joke telling that. That's good to know. But he would define common grace as anything that doesn't look like the burning fires of hell. Because remember, Genesis 2, 15, 16, and 17 says, when you sin, you die. And there's judgment associated with that. There's punishment associated with that. So anything, any, any uh, duration of time between the time that we sin to the time that either God, we are glorified with him in heaven or there is ultimate punishment in hell, that is, that is common grace. All right, so let's look at some examples of this. Uh, Genesis 3, 17 and 18. So you're still in Genesis, right? Next time. Look at verses 17 and 18. So this is part of the curse. You got it there? Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In full you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the tree. So God said, Thorns and thistles will grow out of the ground. Have you ever seen thorns and thistles? Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you ever seen anything that was not a thorn or a thistle? Yes. You know what that is? Common grace. So the fact that there's something that grows out of the ground that's not thorns and thistles is an evidence of God's grace. Now, here's what I want you to do. Some of you are eating something right now. Are you eating thorns and thistles? No. The fact that you don't have to eat thorns and thistles right now is an evidence of common grace. This is good. This is, it is all around us. Let's look at Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Look at the New Testament. You already got it, Sam? Yeah. And Sam's looking ahead. See, he already finished his common grace, and, uh, or most of his common grace. But I say to you. So who's speaking here? Uh, Jesus. Yes, and you know, it's because it's red. It's red. Yeah, it helps a little, right? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Oh, 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 what, 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 what? He causes the son to what? Rise on the evil and the good. So, hang on. But that is, I mean, aliens <laughs> get to benefit from the light of the sun. You know what that is? Common grace. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. What a neat design, right? Also sends rain. Also sends, yeah, I, I stopped you short. I didn't keep going, I'm sorry. <laughs> sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I just didn't want to mess it. No, you didn't want to mess it, because if you only got the scorching heat from the sun, 
right? Uh, and thorns and thistles, scorching meat for sun, two sun, and thorns and thistles. Ooh, that's a rough existence, but he also sends rain. And this is really, really good. So it rains on the just and the unjust, which is fantastic. So a couple of the verses there. Uh, Genesis 39, 5, we won't flip to it, but this is the story of uh, a man that was captured and put into slavery. And uh, his captor's name uh, ended up in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's, who, who ended up in Potiphar's house, you know? Joseph ended up in Potiphar's house. And, and the Bible describes something that happened to Potiphar's house because Joseph was there. What happened to his house? It prospered, he blessed, right? And, and so God pours out his blessing, and it directly impacts somebody who is not a believer because of a believer. So we can actually assist in the common grace consumption of unbelievers because of our standing in relationship with God, which is really pretty cool. So your pagan friends don't know it, but you are good for them. How about that? You are. Absolutely. We'll look at a whole lot of different verses today to talk about how good Christians are for the pagans. So, a couple of the verses that are listed there, we won't go into those. Uh, number two, that's the, the physical realm. Number two is the intellectual realm. Uh, Gruden's got a good quote here. Human beings in the world today, even unbelievers, are not totally given over to lying, irrationality, and ignorance. Not totally. There's some level of intelligence in the world, right? Now, we can argue a long time about the level at which this is at. George Jackson sent me a beautiful text message yesterday. I don't know if John can tell you about this or not, but he was, he was trying to describe to me some British mathematician that I should be watching YouTube videos on because he was good at uh, arguing with, and I quote, the great atheists. And I responded back to him, I said, well, I think you mean the seemingly intelligent atheists, because I would argue that there are no thing as great atheists. That's, you know, my Bible says the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of understanding is the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord. You ignore that, you're going to have a real problem. I have struggled calling somebody great as a result of that. However, you can have, we know, smart pagans, right? You ever met a smart pagan? Absolutely. The reason they have the ability to learn Common grace. It is good for who? It's actually good for us. We get to benefit. We'll talk about this later on in the lesson, but we get to benefit from God's goodness in his blessing and understanding to those that even reject him. Has everything that ever benefited mankind was it created by a believer? No, no, no. I watched a documentary of Steve Jobs uh, two or three days ago. And you, know, you talk about raging hate, not interested in a life dedicated to Jesus Christ. And I would say half of us have a device, some of us are reading the copy of the scripture on a device that he was instrumental in creating. And we are benefiting from something that God enabled a pagan to understand and learn and how to do. And he fosters and spreads his kingdom through that. And I say, you might be drawn. That is awesome. That is pretty cool stuff. And that is common grace. So let's look at John 1 9. John 1 9. My head exploded when I saw this. We're going to talk about this. Who's got John 1 9? Thank you guys. Yeah, it says, uh, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. And true light, like this. 
Right, it's kind of left. Yes. So, so who gets what? Everybody. Everybody gets what? Right? We talked about this before, that the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Reuben's quote here is, in his role as creator and sustainer of the universe, the Son of God allows enlightenment and understanding to come to all people in the world. Now, we know from Romans 1 that everybody has a fundamental understanding and acknowledgement that God exists. When you deny that, that is a conscious, willful rebellion against God. So we know this is true. But having any level of knowledge when you reject God is an example of common grace. So this is how much God loves us. It's a beautiful example of this. All right, so number three is the moral realm. Uh, God also, by common grace, restrains restrains people from being as evil as they could be. Now, I would not argue that the world is a righteous and holy place. I don't know anybody would argue that the world is a righteous and holy place, but the world is also not totally and completely as evil as it could be. Right? So there is some measure of restraint that is existing in the world to keep sin from, to keep everybody being Hitler. Right? So imagine if everybody that you know, yeah, he's the best, like every single person. That's right. And that's not our experience. Now we have portions of society. We have individuals. We have small groups. We have sometimes large groups. But it's not everybody. There's some measure of restraint. So look at Romans 2, 14 and 15. <coughs> Romans 2, 14 and 15. Indeed, for Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bear witness, and are not sometimes accusing them and at other times, even the So God baked inside the heart of man a conscience. Right? So that even those that say, I reject God, would say, you know, there are some things that are just fundamentally wrong. Right? Right? I'll give you one. Kicking puppies. Uh, are you good at uh, athletics, cooking, writing? 
and the, and the ability to appreciate beauty in these areas. Because it could have been beautiful, and we just walked past it by This is how I felt when I took an introduction to art class when I was in college. I'd be told, this is beautiful, and I looked at it and I went, Pleasure, so. It makes me happy, and I finally, by the end of the course, I was able to say the words, it makes me happy that you are happy looking at that. I got that long. That was, I was okay with that. And I still something I just look at it and I go, I don't get it. I don't get it. But that's okay. It's okay. The fact that we can appreciate you, common grace, and then in society, has anybody ever been part of an organization or a group that did something good? And, and did you ever, were you ever part of an organization or group that wasn't Christian that did something good? Yeah. Great. I'm gross. This is beautiful. It's a, it's a wonderful example of this. Um, in the religious realm, God's common grace brings some blessings to unbelieving people. To unbelieving people. So Matthew 5, 44.
those are the acquisitions. So who would be the, the American application of that would be the whole way up, whether we agree or whether we disagree. Now, if government is righteous and holy, then we are praying for believers and fantastic. If government is not righteous and not holy, then we are praying, praying for believers and we are being obedient to the commands of Scripture. Either way, we are commanded to pray here, right? Everybody with me? What if we disagree with the government? We're supposed to pray. And if we agree, pray. All right, this is good. You know why? God uses that act of prayer to demonstrate his power and to remind us to live what kind of lives? Peaceful, quiet, holy, righteous. And this is good. Us living peaceful, quiet, godly, righteous lives shares God's common grace with those who do not. This is part of how we get to participate in this activity. And it's a beautiful thing. All right, so then uh, Ezekiel 33, 11. I don't go to Ezekiel very often. I'm, I'm always reminded whenever I have a verse of Ezekiel that I preach as often as I probably should. We'll get to it this year in the Bible. Have to go through the Bible. Because it is in the Bible. Yay, come on. Right? Uh, 
we benefit from those of you that are reading a physical copy of the Bible in a book. We benefit from the fact that somebody went out and worked and cut down a tree, and then somebody else who knew what they were doing with printing presses uh, put ink on paper, and somebody else bound it up, and somebody's and there was a purchasing and a delivery, and all these things benefit the church, right? So that we don't have to sit in the dark. We can sit in the light. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? How cool is that? Common grace benefits the church. This is good for us. So here's the line. I just ended up putting it in about here. We benefit from everything that does not look like the fires of hell. We do. Really? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, so let's talk about a couple reasons for common grace. I think one of them ought to be really, really obvious. I think it's probably the first. Uh, to redeem those who will be saved. There was no common grace in yeah. Adam and Eve, that's it. None of us, none of our experience. Uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, number two, to demonstrate God's goodness and mercy. Uh, Luke 6.35, which is actually going to be our... Uh, part of our memory passage for this week. It was 635. I haven't heard from this side of the room yet. <clears throat> Jessica? To love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Absolutely. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. So God is commanding us to participate in the goodness that he gives to unbelievers because it is good for us to. <coughs> so what kind of an awesome God lets us participate in his good acts? Cool. Um, I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, and we are in the process of teaching them a wide variety of things. And sometimes in the instructional process, I want to say, step aside, let me do it myself. I can do it more efficiently, more effectively, more whatever. And that does not in any way enable them to learn and understand how to engage rightly. God could absolutely say, step aside, let me do all the good. Is there ever a scenario where we could do good in a better way than God does good? I think I'm close. Not even close. My kids regularly will do a job and I'll be like, wow, I think about doing that too. That's cool. Awesome. God never has that happen. It's never, oh, I didn't think about doing good that way. Oh, cool. No. He is always and only ever going to get a sub, sub, sub job when we participate. And yet he asks us to do good. He wants our help. He wants us to participate in this with him, which I think is fantastic. It demonstrates his mercy. Number three, it demonstrates God's justice. Because he repeatedly invites sinners. Nobody can object. Romans 2, Romans 3. Nobody can object that God has been unjust. And then number four, to demonstrate God's glory. When we, through the benefits of common grace, live out God's commands, God is glorified. When we do what we were designed and created to do, to reflect the appropriate glory to Him, and the universe functions in the way that it should. 
Make sense? All right, so our response to the doctrine of common grace. Number one, common grace does not mean that all those who receive it will be saved. Right? Okay? This is pretty straightforward. Just because the sun shines on you, shines on you. Because the sun lit you up with its rays. Quite a good participles and all that stuff. Shine, is it shine? Shine. See, I'm going to I don't care what color the song is on. I don't care what color the song is on. Because God blessed you with the sun and the rain does not mean that you will participate in heaven with him. What's missing with the sun and the rain equation there? Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And if you take Jesus off of that side of the equation, you have nothing. That's it. That's the way this works. You've got to have Jesus. So just because common grace exists does not mean that everybody who receives it will be saved. Number two, we must be careful not to reject the good things that unbelievers do as totally evil. This is a tough one. Right? So just because somebody doesn't believe God or Jesus doesn't mean that they can't participate in good. Wow, that makes my head hurt. And part of the reason that makes my head hurt is that I don't have all knowledge of all time to be able to see everything and to go, oh yeah, I see how that works for good for here and how God makes that happen. I have a very small perspective from one point in the history of the universe. That makes it difficult. And then number three, the, the doctrine of common grace should stir our hearts to much greater thankfulness to God. So we're, uh, read you a quote from Rudiger. When we walk down the street and see houses and gardens and families dwelling in security, or when we do business in the marketplace and see the abundant results of technological progress, or when we walk through the woods and see the beauty of nature, or when we are protected by government, or we, when we are educated from the vast storehouse of human knowledge, we should realize not only that God and his sovereignty is ultimately responsible for all of these lessons, but also that God has granted them to sinners who are totally undeserving of them. The realization of this fact should cause our hearts to swell with thanksgiving to God in every activity of life. Amen? Anything you see that is not burning fire to hell is God's common grace. It is so much around us. This is why my mind has been blown the last couple of weeks. Wake and teach this so, our scripture memory passage for next week is Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, for you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind and unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. And our hymn for the day, this is an old one. It is not a typo. It's from 1561. The word folk is in here. We use the word folk very often. So here we go. All people that on earth do dwell. All people that on earth do dwell sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. For him serve with fear, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. The Lord ye know is good indeed. With our aid he did us make. Without our aid he did us make. We are his folk, he doth us feed. And for his sheep he doth us take. O enter then his gates with praise, approach with joy his courts unto. Praise loud and bless his name always, for it is seemingly so to do. For why? The Lord our God is good, his mercy is forever sure, his truth at all times firmly stood, and shall from age to age endure. Amen? Amen. It's common grace.
And we did scratch and sniff it, and there's like 20 other pages in the text about that, and he summarized it and aggregated it, and it's a lot more fun than that. So, that's Sunday School for today. I mean, tables in the middle of the table is a weekly update. Uh, also talks about what we'll be studying the next couple of weeks, but there's prayer requests there. Make sure you read through those. Pray as a table. After you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed to go not before. And then uh, make sure that you take attendance at the bottom of that. So if you were here, or you saw somebody that was here, or you thought somebody was here, then put your name down at the bottom of that. That's great. Uh, I think we need to stack the chairs in settings today, so you can stack them and just keep them where they are after you pray the table. That'd be great. Thanks for coming to Sunday School. Okay.